Hello to all my notary publics. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gathered here. Excited to bring you episode 301 of Beautiful Anonymous. 301. I've kept it going all this time. I want to keep it going. I got gears turning on how to keep doing this show that you've come to know and love and support. And also, uh, who who knows what else we can do in the future? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All I know is I want to thank everybody who listens to the show and everybody who enjoyed episode 300. Uh, We had reactions ranging from some people in that Facebook group saying, I wish every call was 300 minutes long to other people saying, I'm sorry, but this was the dullest episode ever. And honestly, everything in between. One of my favorite comments came from Colleen. There was a lot of reaction. The second call, if you uh, have listened to it, you know, it wound up being someone who I realized I used to flirt with on AOL in in the early 2000s. Colleen said, I absolutely loved all 300 minutes, but I especially loved the second call. It was awesome to hear Chris and the caller reconnect and talk about the weird 90s and AOL chats. I am of that age also, and it really took me back. Meeting someone on AOL in a chat room and then moving from chat to the phone is exactly how I met my now fiance. We met in an emo chat room, LOL, in 2000. Started talking about bands, then moved from chat room to talking on AIM, and then onto phone calls, which weren't cheap because we lived in different states. We were in and out of each other's lives for a while, and then in 2012, we met in person for the first time, and then a few years later, began dating still while living in different states. It goes on from there. But oh my God, a 12-year AOL courtship. Well done, Colleen. Thank you for being in the Facebook group. Speaking of love, speaking of unusual ways to meet your fiance, caller this week, as you can tell from the title... Not many people have this story. Oh, how how did you meet your fiance? Oh, we met at her wedding. That's right. The caller was at a person's wedding and they're now married to the person who they first met at their wedding. How's that go down? It sounds like a, a real juicy story. Well, it is. There's also talk about age differences and, and coming out and family who is supportive, all sorts of stuff that's fascinating and enjoyable and that I loved and that I hope you love as well. Enjoy this call, everybody. 301, kicking things off, 2022. It feels like something's in the air, something good. Let's go out there and get it. Let's grab life by the horns. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to hear you're doing all right. As far as how I'm doing, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin. Good, I guess. I guess good. It's brutal out here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have not been feeling it this week. I've, I've also had a ton of dentistry and doctor's appointments, and those never oh, help the mood. But I'm also, also just feeling in general kind of hopeless. But that's okay. That happens to me sometimes. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. How are you? I get that. I um, I was actually just having a conversation with someone about how I feel really good about my life. Um, 
but I need to avoid the news uh, every now and then to maintain a, a sense of feeling good because there's so much terrible bad news. Um, yeah. So I'm in a, I'm in a period where I'm avoiding kind of social media and the news, and, and I think that helps. I think so. I think so. I hate that feeling sometimes that I go, I just have to hide my head in the sand. Like I sit there, I go, man, am I like not doing my responsibility as like citizen in the world? And then I go, well, I can't watch any more footage of people hanging from the wheel, the wheel wells of American planes in Afghanistan. And, exactly. And what? Then, yeah. The whole thing. I have this, um, feeling that we as humans were not like our brains were not created to take in the constant flow of information that we take in because of social media and the 24 hour news cycle. Um, and I just feel like there's, we're just not created with the capacity to take in so much horrible, terrible news every single day. Um, so hopefully it's not a putting your head in the sand if you're doing the right things on a, on a day-to-day basis, but it's just kind of a, a recuperation from that onslaught. Yeah. Let some healing happen. Let some healing happen. Yeah, for sure. Cause once you're, once you can be re-energized and you can do more good. Yeah. I needed to talk to you today. All of that rings very true. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you as well. Now I have a question. Have you and I spoken before? Uh, we have not spoken before. Um, my fiance has called in, a few times and but has never kind of gotten through to the main line. Oh, your fiance's gonna be pissed. I know she's at work right now. I think she'll actually be really happy for me though. You know what it is? I have a friend in life who's a singer and songwriter named Mal Blum, and you sound a lot like Mal. Really? Was I just listening to her on the line? It's possible. It's possible. Um, I forget exactly what because we've had a few few iterations of that playlist i've actually been thinking i gotta update update that playlist again but i forget if mal's on the i've listened to a lot of the music uh mm-hmm. with my fiance uh, on the line mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. It's, i always enjoy it well that's good that's good well I, I hope this doesn't cause a wedge between you and your fiance <laughs> yeah I, I think she'll be actually really happy and really excited and now is she gonna have to hear you spill a bunch of dirt about her on the line <laughs> I, I I think she'll she'll only be happy because I only I only have good things to say about her. <laughs> good, 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 good. That's how it's <laughs> supposed to go, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, what do I need to know about you? Where do we begin? Um, well, I think since you know we're talking about my fiance, probably uh, one of the more interesting stories uh, about me is that my fiance and I actually met at her wedding. The first time we ever met was um, because I was invited to a wedding on New Year's Eve uh, by a friend of mine who, um, it, it was a lesbian wedding. My, my fiance is a woman. She was marrying a woman. And uh, we had mutual friends who was invited and she didn't know a lot of people who she thought would feel comfortable attending a lesbian wedding um, in, the, in, you know, the not tiny town, but relatively small city we live in. And uh, so she asked me, uh, I was not anyone who understood that I had a a queer dimension to my personality or my life at the time. I um, had just gotten out of a long-term relationship with a man who I was engaged to. And she just said, you know, I I just wanted a friend to go to this wedding with me. And I was wondering if if you would go. Um, And I did. And that's the first time I ever met her was, was uh, seeing her, her get married. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) 
And and you just to underline this, because I heard it loud and clear. But at that point, you had not considered, you had not done a thorough analysis of potential queerness. Correct. Correct. Um, I grew up in a very um, kind of religious, I don't know, a religiously conservative household. Maybe very is too strong of a word because, you know, there are levels to this. But um, I grew up in a firmly conservative Christian household and I, and I grew up going to a, a Christian high school and, um, you know, for me, it wasn't just going through the motions. I was very much a, a true believer. Um, so in looking back at my life now, I, I think I understand that the, there was always a, like a queer dimension to my identity and who I was and, and what I wanted. Um, but I think I was also just such a, a, a people pleaser, a rule follower, um, that I just pushed it down so far that it took me until being, you know, 35 years old to, to understand that, that it, it was really there. And by the time, um, by the time I met my fiance, yeah, I would say, you know, I still hadn't contemplated ever even dating a woman. Um, but I, as soon as I laid eyes on her, there was something in me that, that just responded to her. And I, I remember being at the wedding and just looking at her and thinking like, I'm drawn to her and I don't exactly know why or what that means, but you know, I'm drawn to her and I, and I didn't talk to her much at the wedding because I didn't know her or her wife. And I feel like when you're a guest at a wedding where you don't really know the couple, like it's, it's polite to not take up their time. So I kind of said hello and, and kind of got out of the way. But I remember leaving that wedding and just thinking like, you know, what was going on there? Um, and again, at that time, I still really, still really didn't understand it because she and I did not really get to know each other or begin talking until, um, her and her wife split up. And at that point, um, our same friend who invited me to the wedding, she said, Oh, you remember so-and-so you, you know, you're at the wedding. They've actually, they've actually broken up. And this was maybe five months after the wedding. And I said, wow, that, you know, I'm, I'm sad to hear that. Um, and they had been married legally for a year before the ceremony, which I also didn't know at the time. So they had been together, you know, married for about a year and a half when they split up. And our mutual friend who invited me to the wedding said, well, you know, I think she could use a friend right now. You know, she's going through a lot. She's, she's finishing school. Um, we were both at the same uh, I'm also about 13 years older than her, <laughs> um, but we're in the same uh, university uh, studying the same thing. And my friend said, you know, she could probably use your, you know, use you as a soundboard. She's working on a thesis, you know, maybe you can, can help her out. And so I said, okay, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. Let's, let's have dinner. And the first dinner that she and I planned, I invited our mutual friend. Uh, I think because part of me was kind of scared to see her one-on-one because again, I kind of had this sense of feelings for her that I didn't really understand <laughs> and couldn't really explain even to myself. Um, so we all had dinner together and uh, that was really the beginning of me getting to know her um, as a person. Um, and um, actually <laughs> um at this dinner, my friend and I asked her, like, how's it going? You know, have you guys actually gotten divorced or are you still, um, 
you know, what's that process like? And she said, well, yeah, you know, we're, it's completely over. We're all moved out, all of that stuff. But, you know, getting divorced can be like kind of complicated and, uh, you know, kind of expensive. And I said, well, you know, I'm a notary in this state. So if, if you need someone to notarize your divorce papers, you know, feel free to give me a call. Um, and a couple of weeks after that, uh, I was also notarizing her divorce papers. Well, if this isn't one of the most romantic tales I've ever heard. <laughs> um, we had not, you know, dated or, you know, there was nothing really um, spoken, romance spoken between us at that point. But um, after I notarized her divorce papers is when we started spending time together. And <laughs> the first time, you know, <laughs> we spent time together, we went to dinner. And um, I... She always says she thought it was a date because I asked her, you know, do you have any siblings? And I said, I, I just would say that to anyone, you know, it's just conversation. And she said, well, it felt like an intimate question to me. So then I thought we were on a date. Um, but it wasn't until we, we had spent some time hanging out one-on-one -on -one that I, I really, I started to realize that um, my feelings for her were not just uh, congeniality or just friendship. Um, you know, I remember one night she was over at my, my place with a bunch of other friends and kind of one by one, everyone left and she stayed and we were just up talking. And she said to me at some point, you realize it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so that's not possible. Cause I'm, I don't stay up late. There's no way it's three o'clock in the morning, but of course it was three o'clock in the morning. And, um, she was like, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to go. And I said, okay. And as soon as she left and closed the door, I started crying. I think because it was the first time I really kind of had to admit to myself that I was having feelings for this woman and um, <laughs> something I was going to have to unpack. And, you know, if I was uh, brave enough, something I was going to have to actually like engage with and understand and pursue. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Notarized the divorce papers with no ill intentions, no motives. None. <laughs> and now marrying that person. Yes, we got engaged um, last summer. Well, congrats. Thank you. That's a that's a wild one. Is it <laughs> is it a good sign? Is it a good sign of the world that one of my main thoughts is outside outside of you know having to reckon with um, unrealized aspects of sexuality. There's a party that goes, it almost feels like just as difficult to figure out how to date someone 13 years younger than you. Am I right or wrong about that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember telling the, the first few people I told, um, nothing can happen, not, not because she's a woman, but because she's 12 years younger than me. 12, 12, you I know, apologize. Just yeah, no, no problem. Um, it's like 12 and a half. Um, so I, I remember thinking, you know, it's kind of a non-starter, even though I have these deep feelings and even though, um, you know, she's a woman, that's not really the barrier. I kind of had a mental barrier of just the age difference because I have only ever dated people older than me. My ex was, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years older than I was. Um, so to go from, you know, uh, you know, six foot three, 
guy who's 10 years older than me to a, you know, five foot two woman who's 12 years younger than me was, um, <laughs> it was quite a switch. And, um, can I ask these days, do you, do you refer to yourself as a lesbian? How, what, what terminology do you use here? Sometimes I think, I think my preferred term is queer mm-hmm. only because it feels like queer encompasses more than just who you're sleeping with. It feels like a point of view and um, almost, um, you know, it almost feels also kind of political and yeah. it feels like it accounts for the dimensions to sexuality that are, you know, exist sure. um, beyond that binary. But at the same time, um, I don't shy away from uh, saying I'm a lesbian as an identity either. You know, I, I feel really actually proud of being a lesbian in many ways because I worked through a lot to, to kind of get where I am. And it has been the most kind of beautiful and rewarding journey I've been on in my life. Um, so I don't shy away from the label, but, but I do feel like queer kind of is a space that I feel really comfortable in and a word that feels really comfortable for me. And do you feel like <laughs> this is like a half joke, half not? Do you feel <laughs> it was harder to embrace your status as queer or harder to embrace your status as a, as a cradle robber? Um, for me, I think it, the cradle proper was harder than the queer, <laughs> really? um, for other, for other people I know, I think it was different, but, um, I, I just never, never envisioned myself with a, a younger person, let alone a, you know, kind of significantly younger person. And I think it helps that her siblings are my age. So we have a lot of common, reference points. You know, when I talk about music or movies or TV, she always knows exactly what I'm talking about because she grew up with siblings who are my age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine that if you're engaged, you're quite happy. Yes. Uh, I, I can tell you without a doubt, I'm the happiest I've ever been. What a beautiful thing to say. What a beautiful thing to say. <laughs> and I have to wonder how the people in your life because you know, you say you you were in a prior relationship with a six foot three older man. I have to imagine this must have shocked some of the people in your life. How how are they reacting? Yeah, um, you know, I think what is difficult about uh, coming out, or I don't know, maybe maybe is it. I don't want to speak for other people, but for me, as a person who is in my mid thirties. Um, coming out for the first time, understanding this dimension to myself for the first time, and then going to people in my life who I know love me, um, but I also know, you know, some of them have very different viewpoints than I do. Um, It's an incredibly vulnerable position to be an adult person, going to another adult person and essentially saying, will you please still love me? It's not a position I expected to be in as an adult. Yeah. So that was, in, it's incredibly vulnerable. And in, um, thankfully in my life, you know, I kind, of, I kind of reconciled within myself that if my mom and my dad and my sister and uh, 
you know, my very, very close friends accepted me, that that would be enough. And if whoever else didn't, that, you know, I would be fine without them. But I, I have to say, you know, much to my uh, kind of surprise and delight that, that almost everyone I love in my life, even people who maybe struggle with, um, struggle with understanding this, have absolutely uh, shown us so much love, shown me love, shown her love. Um, you know, I got so many text messages around the time we started dating of people who I was friends with on social media, as you said, I see you smiling in a way I've never seen you smiling before. You seem happy. And I think they loved me. And I think seeing me genuinely seem happy um, really moved them, even people who maybe struggled with what they've been taught about sexuality and religion and all that stuff. I love that. I love that. And I got to tell you, I really kind of took my breath to hear you say that part of your experience is realizing you have to go to other adults who you've known your whole life and to say, will you please still love me? I, I don't know if I've ever heard yeah. it broken down that simply. And that, what a, yeah, that's just like such a cut and dry summation of, uh, of an experience that you never think of it in that, that simple a term. You got to go and, Hey, here's my deal. Do you still love me? You have to decide. And I can, I'm going to hear your reaction. I'm going to understand. I'm going to see your face. Yeah. What a scary yeah. thing. But you, you, you and you know, Oh, go for it. Please go ahead. I'm just going to check in. You said oh, mom, I dad, was, sister were the big ones. And I just wanted to check in that, that everything's all systems go there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been incredible. You know, my sister, I was so, so lucky to have my sister because I knew that she would, she would be there for me. And I knew that she would be, um, my ally and, and she was, you know, and, and, you know, actually when I called to tell her, um, my, my fiance and I had been dating for maybe, you know, two or three weeks when I told my sister there, there was a hurricane that came through town. The two of us kind of hunkered down together. Um, the phone lines were down. So that was great. Cause I didn't have to explain to anyone where I was or what I was doing. And we just had some time to get to know each other. And, and I got to know her without having to kind of explain to people outside of me what I was doing. Cause I was figuring it out. Um, but as I, and this is with your current fiance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hey, that's how me and my wife got together too. Did you know that? Let's pause right there. How about that? Hurricane couples. I wonder how many hurricane couples are out there in the world. I wonder if there's a whole whole uh, subsect of society that's hurricane couples that we hadn't known about before now. I'll tell that story. We'll hear more of the caller stories when we get back. Thanks to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. There, there was a hurricane that came through town. We, the two of us kind of hunkered down together. Um, the phone lines were down. So that was great because I didn't have to explain to anyone where I was or what I was doing. And we just had some time to get to know each other. And, and I got to know her without having to kind of explain to people outside of me what I was doing because I was figuring it out. Um, but as I... And this is with your current fiance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hey, that's how me and my wife got together, too. Did you know that? During a hurricane? <laughs> yeah, I always feel bad. I mean, Hurricane Sandy absolutely decimated the Northeast. And, like, wow. my beloved New Jersey saw footage of the Seaside Heights mm -hmm. boardwalk, like, blown away. But I, yep. 
I was living when we looked at the map in Brooklyn where I was living, I had my roommate at the time. He lived upstairs. I lived in the basement. And our end of the block was not in the evacuation zone, but literally halfway down the block, the like you could walk to the end of our block and you'd be in it. Like it was a few houses down. Wow. So my roommate, my buddy Phil, really great guy, Phil Jackson, not the basketball coach. Mm-hmm. I was not roommates with the <laughs> basketball say. coach of the Chicago Bulls, comedy writer, Phil Jackson. He was like, yeah, I'm going to ride it out. I think we'll be fine. We're not in the evacuation zone. I was like, I'm in the basement. I don't know. But if you're sticking around, I'll stick around. Worst comes to worst, I'll sleep upstairs mm-hmm. on the couch, blah, blah, blah. I go, let me run down to the store. I'll get a bunch of food and stuff. So I go to the store. By the time I get back, he's panicking, throwing all his stuff in his suitcase. He's like, I'm out of here, Geth. I got to go, Geth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I'm like, now what do I do? Hallie and I had just started dating like weeks prior. So I mm-hmm. called her up. I was like, ah, I think I'm riding this one out alone. Phil's bailing. And she she lived like, you know, uh, probably 10, 15 minute walk away from me. She said, why don't you just come up here? Get out of that basement, you know? Um mm-hmm. So we, we crashed together for three days and it really accelerated everything. And now I feel so bad that so wow. many people f- were met with such devastation during Hurricane Sandy. And I found a uh, true love that led wow. to a happy suburban existence and the birth of a child. Wow, that's incredible. I didn't know that. And I'm sorry it's Hurricane Sandy. We had like a, a small hurricane that knocked out power for like three days, but yeah. you know, not a, not a hurricane people still talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, less, but it is. less conflicted there anyway. <laughs> It is it is a special thing to suddenly be kind of in a little oasis with someone you're falling in love with. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was it was really beautiful, and it um, yeah. I just remember on kind of on the other side of that, I was really ready to to tell my my sister and kind of start that process. And I called her and I said, you know, I, I have something that I need to tell you, and I'm just having a hard time getting it out. And my sister and I, she's four years younger than me, but we're incredibly close. And she said, do you want me to say it for you? And I said, yeah, okay. And she said, you're dating a woman. And I said, yeah, I am. (laughs) And my sister said, oh, thank God. Because I figured it was either you're dating a woman or you got back together with your ex. And it was such a relief and just kind of, we laughed and it was a really beautiful moment. But, um, you know, my sister, she told me, you know, I was, I was worried about my mom because she is a very, um, like religious person, very much, you know, kind of a church person. Um, my sister said, you know, if you want, I'll, I'll kind of give her the heads up so that when you talk to her, it's not necessarily the first time she's hearing it, if that'll make you feel more comfortable. And I said, you know what? that I think that's good. It's, it's kind of nice. It, it eases it a little bit. And my sister told my mom, you know, I'm telling you this because when, when your other daughter tells you, you're only going to get one reaction. So whatever reaction you have right now to me telling you, go ahead and get it out of your system. So when she tells you your first reaction can be the right one. And quality you know, sistering right there. Quality yeah. Sistering. I mean, I, I really, what a way to frame it. Yeah, it was really beautiful. I mean, just this last year, my sister, my mom for my birthday gave me like a, a rainbow bottle of champagne. Like, <laughs> it's just been a, Your mom a beautiful, did? like almost three year journey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You never saw that coming, huh? No, I really didn't. She was the person I was probably most nervous to tell because if she would have rejected me, it would have been so devastating. Yeah. But she didn't. Rainbow champagne. 
Yeah, it was beautiful. And now my sister moved in about five houses down from me. So it's, it's actually been really beautiful. Your sister has cemented herself in the sister hall of fame on that one. Like get whatever this reaction is, have it yep. now and then figure out how to put on the game yep. face. Yep. Cause you get one yep. chance and the, this reaction will be remembered forever. So think about your, have your, have your instinctive reaction now and then let's rebuild yeah. to the reaction you want to <laughs> present and that you want to own. Absolutely. That's good sistering. And you know what else that is? Good daughtering. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Being that it all worked out to step up and be like, mom, I'm watching your back on this one too, because you can do some real damage. So let's, I'll do the dry run. Yeah. I, I, it, it really has been a beautiful experience. I feel incredibly lucky, you know, um, you know, not everyone ended up on kind of a, a good side, but, but the people that didn't kind of just revealed themselves to be shitty in a lot of other ways, you know, it was just like one of, one of many issues that, that they had. So, so I do feel really, really lucky. Now, has anyone made this joke to you? When are you getting married? Have you decided? So we, COVID has kind of messed with our plans. Um, we were waiting for things to, I guess, kind of get better, but now it just seems like things will never really be quote unquote better. So we're thinking, um, next fall, like fall, 22. Has anyone made the following joke to you? Because I'll go there. Everybody listening to those, I'll go there. <laughs> Have you thought about at this wedding, is there going to be a moment where you, where you quietly scan the guests <laughs> and go, who are these plus ones? And is, is one of these plus ones, I don't even know, going to try to gonna try to snake my wife from me no you did not snake your wife it sounds very i I, I so firmly believe it's a once in a lifetime thing (laughs) have you had that chuckle yet though have you thought about it i haven't i'm shocked that no one said it though it feels definitely like 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 what someone should have joked at this point (laughs) right you should on the uh, on the invitation you go no um right no kids, uh, no me. notary publics, on- no children, right. please, right. and no notary publics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've always been confused as to how one becomes a notary public and why. Um, it's just really a simple online process that you pay for, and then it just makes your life easier when you need things notarized. I was in a job where um, it was just helpful to have it, but it ended up being something I used actually a lot to um, perform I, I think I've performed six weddings and, and then like two divorces. Um, most of them were actually queer weddings because people have a hard time finding someone who will marry them if they're from small towns or, or live kind of away from big cities. So I kind of um, ended up marrying a lot of queer couples who, who just wouldn't find, couldn't find people to marry them. Does every notary public qualify as a reverend? Uh, I know in Florida they do. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, In my state, they do. uh, But I don't know what the other state policies are. Because I am not a notary public, but I am a, I am a, uh, a, technically a minister. Technically, I'm a minister through through the First Nations Ministries. And I've performed seven or eight weddings now. Is that like an online ministry? It is. They, they, it was very funny. Um, there's the Universal Life Church, which everybody uses, and I looked into them. But mm-hmm. apparently, New York City, New York City, 
takes it serious. I sit here, I go, man, now that I've performed a bunch of weddings, I'm like, how would anyone even know if I hadn't registered? It's not like anybody checks. Right. Like, this is a weird antiquated system, but New York City apparently has an issue with the whole universal life church thing. So they make you jump through some hoops. So I found this place, First Nations Ministries, that at least when I signed up, <laughs> literally had a box that was like, you're paying for your online minister credentials. And then it has a box that's like, are you in the five boroughs of New York City? Click here for the other documents. And then they give you extra documents. And then when you go to the city clerk to file yourself as a reverend, they say like, okay, and then they're going to say they have a problem with X, Y, and Z. That's when you pull out this form that we, so they give you all the, and, and you just job with them. You're like, it's all, every question you have is in here. I probably, I paid seven extra dollars or whatever it was for the New York City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a reverend. Now First Nations, is this affiliated with like an indigenous group of people? I don't know much about the organization with whom I have thrown in my hat. I don't know <laughs> if they still funny. exist. Yeah, they do. The First Nation Ministry does still exist. Let's <laughs> see. I'm going to do a quick search on that. That's something I should know. Question. I like that their website, one of the main um, things at their website is questions, which I think everyone must click when you go to this website because, yes, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, first, frequently asked questions. Um, well, I've never. I don't know. I don't know what this is that I signed up for, but I've been a part of it for years. <laughs> they call that themselves. Like they say first met national marriage ministry. Here's a bunch of different copyrighted phrases at the bottom. We celebrate love, the efficient Academy, the official church of love, home <laughs> of the worry free wedding, celebrate love, celebrate life, civil efficient, our pre- protected international trademarks and service marks of first nation church and ministry. Ooh, tax exempt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Of course they are. FAQ. They don't have one that says, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> Do you have a good average as far as couples staying together who you've married? Now, that's a touchy one, right? Because I know I have, <laughs> well, I have at least, let's see, I married one, um, two, three, four, five, six, at least six couples uh and i think two two are now not two are not together and it threw me for a loop have you had that experience it made me feel bad um i married six two were divorced one of them surprised me the other one i was also cheering for the divorce um because the only reason I really married them was because one of them, they were going to go to basically city hall. And I told my friend, you're you're not going to be happy with this memory. I know you, you know, you love pomp and circumstance. You love, you know, um, events. So at least let me marry you so that you have a good memory. Um, He was just going to go get married literally on our lunch hour at work. And so he said, all right, we'll do it, you know, this weekend, you can do it. And it'll be at least something that is a a great, a good memory to have. But, um, that one did not last. And I I think that I know that that was for the best. So I don't feel bad about that one. The other one, I didn't know the couple that well. I was kind of just helping them out, um, because they were having a hard time finding an efficient. So I was kind of surprised to hear they had split up, but I didn't really know them. Yeah. I've done, I've done three that were couples who I knew in 
life at least. And then three, we did an episode of my old insane TV show where three couples got married on the air. And uh, uh-huh. one of the my fiance loves your TV show. Oh, please thank your fiance for me. Uh, one of the first things uh, she did was was sit me down and have me watch it with her. The dumpster episode. Uh, I think we've seen all of them. <laughs> Ooh, wow! Okay, and you yeah. stuck with her. That's true I, love. I, this, wow, that I, show's nuts. I will admit, I had to wrap my head around it at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look um, back on it. Like, and I wrap once my head around you watch it, it, you get into the rhythm. <laughs> Yeah, I sometimes think about it and go, what was I doing? Um, <laughs> but yeah, one of one of the couples from the TV show, I believe, broke up. And one of the couples mm-hmm. in who, who I don't want to say real life, they were all real life couples, but who I knew through non-TV mm-hmm. broke up. Right. Threw me for a loop. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love that yeah, we're I talking like as much before- about this, as much about this as your, your stunning life story. And it is truly stunning. And now we've gotten on a notary public slash ordained minister <laughs> certification. People track. really want to know about. Well, it's a weird thing. Well, it ties. It all ties in, right? Because you sit here and you go, because mm-hmm. right. I sit here. I go. Sometimes I go. Should I have been performing weddings on a TV show? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> it's a strange thing to do. And then you sit here and you go. People break up. People get together. You were at the wedding of the person you're now marrying. You're actually notarized for yeah. divorce documents. All of these things are sort of ceremonies and symbolic, but have actual real life implications. Mm-hmm. And But then people have been demonized and hurt and killed over the ways they would like to get married. Mm-hmm. And you sit here, you go, this is like the biggest deal in the world. And it also seems like not the biggest deal in the world. It's interesting. You know, now I, I never... Uh, um, like understood myself as queer before, you know, marriage equality was, was legal. Um, I cared about marriage equality just as a, as a person. It was something that I, you know, wanted to see, um, in the country, but you know, it's not a, it wasn't a personal battle for me. So at the point that my fiance and I got together, I knew that we could get married if it's something that we wanted to do, but, um, You know, I've said to her, like, it's so kind of interesting to me how people frame, some people frame, like, um, same-sex couples as somehow, like, unnatural, because, like, loving her is the most natural thing in the world. Like, it's like breathing. Like, and and I just can't fathom coming from a perspective of, like, that this love is just, like, fundamentally unnatural. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a sensitive question? Sure. When you think back, you know, we've talked a lot. There were things that you embraced about yourself, realized about yourself, queerness. You've said, like, be, you know, you supported marriage equality just as someone who supported it before this was a part of yourself that you were acquainted with. I mean, I'm now going to ask you, like, some questions that people sit here and debate and sure. will endlessly. Do you feel like this was an aspect of yourself that evolved over time? Do you feel like this is something that was always there and, and dormant? Do you feel like it was something you were in denial about? I just yes, wonder to all you... of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think when I first fell in love with my fiance, 
it was very much about her. And I very much saw it as falling in love with this person. And, um, you know, I do not think that sexuality is a choice, but, but I, I did have to make a choice to change my life and love her. Like, you know, like it, like loving her required me to have those vulnerable conversations required me to give up my, my privilege. You know, I'm, I'm a professor and and I walk into a a classroom as like a a straight white lady. And um, that's, that feels a little bit like a blank canvas for students, like walking in as a queer lady you know, now you have students who are automatically kind of, you know, projecting things, agendas onto you and things like that. And so, you know, that's just one example, but like, but like loving her did, did require me to to make a choice to embrace the reality of, of who I was. There's been a couple of times I've pointed out that the callers just said some very succinct and powerful things. There's another one. Loving her forced me to make a choice about who I was. An author would dream of writing that line. I've broken the momentum. Let's do the ads. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Now let's finish off the phone call. You know, like it, like loving her required me to have those vulnerable conversations. It required me to give up my, my privilege. You know, I'm, I'm a professor and, and I walk into a, a classroom as like a, a straight white lady. And um, that, that feels a little bit like a blank canvas for students. Like walking in as a queer lady, you know, now you have students who are automatically kind of, you know, projecting things, agendas onto you and things like that. And so, you know, that's just one example. But like, but like loving her did, did require me to, to make a choice to embrace the reality of, of who I was. Um, and initially, when I did that, to me, it was very much about her because I had never had this experience before of meeting a, a person and feeling deeply connected with them and wanting to get to know them for real and wanting to, you know, go down a path with them. You know, I, I never had feelings that strong before. And I, and I felt like they were very much about her. But I think in the last three years of just kind of self-exploration and, and reconsidering my life and... um understanding my queerness like now when I look back I'm like oh my god you were a queer kid the whole time but you were so scared of that you were such a people pleaser you were such a rule follower in an environment where the rules were you know gay is bad straight is good gay is bad that you just pushed it down so deeply that you really, you, that I, I didn't know, like, I really didn't know. Uh, I think, I, I think it was there, but I had to become an adult to be able to like understand it and process it and reconcile with it. And when you say you look back and you've had these moments where you go, Oh my God, the queer kid was there the whole time. Are there, Mm -hmm. are there things that jump out or is it more just kind of remembering who you were in your own head? a little bit of both you know I think I always had like really deep relationships with women um that I was like this is my best friend (laughs) and they were my best friends and many of them still are my best friends but I think if we didn't have these kinds of um restrictions placed upon us as far as like what was quote-unquote right and wrong like they might have been my girlfriends you know like we might have been able to have kids who were able to just be 
kids with like little girlfriends and it wasn't uh, something that we, we would have had to be scared of, you know? And, and I think when I look back having like such, such deep feelings for like my best friends, um, like that was probably like a little queer kid in there who was like kind of in love with that best friend, but was too scared to even acknowledge it to herself. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I kind of even understand that is because, you know, becoming a part of the queer community, talking to lesbians, like that's a common tale. You know, so many, you know, I think queer people have that experience of like being like, why do I care so much that my best friend is doing whatever? Like, you know, why, why am I so invested in this? And it's like later they realize like, oh, well, I was kind of in love with her. Right. But I didn't have those words. And I didn't have that understanding. I, uh, I'll tell you what, like my son his favorite thing on earth is trucks, loves trucks. Mm-hmm. And he loves throwing things. He loves throwing rocks. <laughs> and he's a very physical kid. He wants to wrestle. He wants to show me how he can throw a baseball. <laughs> he also likes to put on his mom's shoes. And mm-hmm. we have like a plastic sheet with a bunch of fake earrings on it for little kids and he loves putting on the earrings and he loves when his mom puts bows Mm -hmm. in his hair. He loves it. And, uh, I bring this up in light of what you're saying. Cause for, for two reasons, cause I sit here, I go one, you know, sometimes my son walks into the room with bows in his hair and earring stickers on. And he says, daddy, look at my earrings. I go, really beautiful. (laughs) Really beautiful, man. You look Mm good. And, I sit here, I go, that's awesome. It is, it is, it's awesome. And I sit here and I go, I bring it up for two reasons. I go, one, if this kid, whoever he tells me he wants to be someday, whoever, not even, I won't even phrase it like that. Whoever t- he tells me he is someday, he's, mm-hmm. that's Cal. Like, that's my guy. That's my buddy, you mm-hmm. know? But then I sit here and I do really thank God that I'm a young parent in 2021 because I know I know that um, there are prior generations where if he walked in Mm -hmm. with bows in his hair and earrings in it would go no 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 that's girl stuff what are you doing I mean you might have they might have had him running laps outside uh, to run around a football (laughs) let's go do that and he wants to do that too but the thing I the thing I marvel at is and I wonder if other parents would agree with this or not. I go to the fact that any of this behavior when he's two or three years old would be sexualized by an adult who would then start Mm-hmm. trying to nudge it in directions or condemn it or explain to them how to be. I go, that's weird. That would be weird for me yeah. to sexualize my own kid right now in one way. I don't, I'm sure there's people yeah. who have phrased this in much smarter ways. And I, I do not mean sexualize in like, uh, or gen, I guess, what would you say? Would you say gender or? Yeah. But you know, I think it, I think there's obviously like, there is the gender aspect of it where, you know, kind of people get stuck in, in perceiving of gender in these really specific ways that really don't mean anything. But, but like, I do think there's a genuine kind of 
bizarre sexualization of of children that starts very young. Like you can find children's clothes for like little boys that are like, I'm a ladies man or whatever. And, and, yeah. and like, that is kind of weird, you know, like if she's like two years old or one or an infant, like, does he need to have a t-shirt that's like, Oh, I'm, I'm a ladies man. Like we do kind of project that onto kids from a very young age. I think, I mean, I don't have children, but you know, I, I definitely think it's a thing that I see in, in the culture. It, it It's a really, it's like, and it's funny because on the show, I feel like everybody who listens to the show knows that I lean, progress, like I'm a Northeastern artist, you know, like everybody knows mm-hmm. what comes with it. But I think actually, I think some people in like the comedy community would view me as like, as like, woke. I, I think listeners to Beautiful Anonymous know that I don't think I'm particularly like woke. I don't think anybody could point at me and be like, that social justice work. I just try to process the world and figure it out, understand the things where mm-hmm. I'm, I, where I, you know, my pitfalls, my blind spots and see the parts where I got lucky. But I go, I can't imagine a world where I do anything. Like I react to the, my son putting on these fake plastic earrings the same way I react mm-hmm. to him being really into trucks where I just go. Mm-hmm. This is pretty cool to watch this kid in action and watch him liking things. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird that we get put in these boxes. And and it brings it up because it's so profound to me to hear you say, because I agree with you totally. We were raised in an era where if you wanted to be a good kid who followed the rules, I mean, you said it and it just came out, but it, it hits mm-hmm. so hard. Just gay is bad, straight is good. That's where we raised. That's the base. Yeah, that's and- the base level. It's well, why? Why? Who thought of that? Who looks at a little kid and thinks of that? Who sees a two year old or a yeah. five year old or a nine year old or a 12 year old? figuring this stuff out mm-hmm. and that's their first instinct. It, it, it feels so strange to me. Support the kid first. Right. And, and like, I'm thinking of two things when you're talking, one of which is, you know, my parents never told me gay is bad straight is good, but I knew that that was the implication. I always knew that, that those were the parameters, you know, it was very clear. I went to a school where it was said overtly cause it was like a very Christian school, but like, I think even just affirming your son and saying like, you look beautiful buddy or or whatever, like that has such a huge impact on just not sending those unspoken messages of like, that's bad. Um, But then like number two, you know, as far as like wokeness or whatever, like you're doing a thing that is probably the key, like one of the key things, which is just listening to people. Like you're listening to your son, you're listening to people on, on the show and like listening, really listening, right? Like not just giving people their turn to talk, but actually listening to them. Like that just gets us so far, you know, like, like that will take us so far in the right direction when we can actually just listen to each other. Um, I was recently on vacation and, and I was walking through the cemetery in Savannah and my fiance and I ran into these two women who were having this like very intimate kind of conversation that we were kind of catching glimpses of. And we ended up kind of standing next to them near a, a tombstone and um, this woman uh, started talking to us about the conversation that they were having and they were having a conversation about race because this woman was a white woman and her husband is black and her children are, you know, biracial and, and her sister's white. And she was like, we're having this miscommunication about me trying to tell my sister who's a good person, you know, why, you know, black people in America have a particularly tough time um, or are given a particularly tough time in this country. 
And I teach, um, like my PhD is in African-American history and racial violence. And like, we ended up having this whole conversation in this like cemetery in Savannah. Um, cause she literally told me like, tell my sister this, explain it to her. <laughs> and I was like, you know, kind of just, I lecture this is like what I do. So I just kind of explain like, there is this unique history in America with black people and the ways that opportunities have been kept from them for hundreds of years, you know? And she was like, well, you know, my kids are white and there's no scholarships for them. And that's not fair either. And that's also racism. And I'm like, it's not racism. You know, if if things have been unequal for 400 years and then you, you attempt, uh, in some tiny ways to try to make them a little more equitable by offering scholarship to like minoritized people. That's, that's not giving them something that your kids don't have. Your kids already have like the privilege of being white people in America. Um, and we had this conversation for like 20 minutes and when it ended, her sister was like, I kind of get it. She goes, you know, if it had ever been explained to me that way before, I think I would have understood you know, from a younger age, kind of what this conversation's about. And I was like, you stood here for 20 minutes and listened to me give you an American history lecture. Like the listening is what, what gets you. You're doing this for yourself. Like by listening, you're allowing this like kind of change of heart to take place. And I'm just like a really firm believer that anyone who's willing to listen to other people, um, you know, whether or not they define themselves as woke or progressive or whatever, like you're generally going to, going to kind of just be better and do more to like make the world a better place. If you can just listen, because when you listen to people, they become human, you know, and you can under you can get out of your own way and just kind of see a different perspective. And I think what's key to what you just said there too, that I want to under- underline as a compliment to you is you're sitting here going, you had that conversation where someone expresses, well, I'm raising white kids and it feels like this is, you know, it feels like something's being taken away or they're being held back. And you listen to that. You said you're expressing a fear. That's a scary thing for yeah. you as a parent. That's Because at the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the day, the large majority of people, and, and I've been taught this, one of the things this show's taught me is like most people, they want simple lives and they want exactly. a roof over their heads and they want warm plate of food at the end of the night and they want laughs mm-hmm. and they want to take care of the people they love. And you're sitting there going, at the end of the day, this is all fear about that last one of going, it feels like it's making mm-hmm. it harder for me. Well, you listened, you listened and you heard it and then yeah. you're able to speak to it. I'm glad we got to talk. We got seven minutes yeah. left. Seven wow. Minutes left. <laughs> um. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, I like it. I like when I get, and also you revealed partway through that you're a professor and I'm glad you slipped that in because it would have intimidated me and you let me ramble <laughs> and you didn't correct oh, me when I said God. a million dumb things. So that's part of listening too, is letting people, meeting people where they're at. So as I'm rambling marble mouth through all this stuff, there's probably so many things where you could have cited, cited uh, studies and corrected me. You chose not to, and I think not at all, not at all. I think you know, like I'm a history teacher, and um, like people think history is just all about like memorizing facts, you know, or like the majority of of people I talk to just ask me like if I understand 
like battles in the civil war and I have no interest in talking about civil war battles, but like, like history is just about understanding how the past affects the present Mm -hmm. and, um, how like, like we're still, we're still fighting the same fights we were fighting, you know, a hundred, 200 years ago, they just look different, you know? Um, so I think if, again, if you're just kind of someone listening and kind of understanding what's going on or in the world around you, um, it's not that hard to understand like how we got to this places, to these places. You know, if you like pick up a book about reconstruction, it'll tell you a hell of a lot about why we are where we are today with race relations. Yeah. It's wild, right? And so much of fighting has always, right? It seems like it's like, where's the food? Where's the water? Christianity, capitalism. Those seem to be like a, yeah. hundreds of years of things fall under those umbrellas, hundreds of years of conflict. Yeah. It's tough. It's, it's tough true. to realize it's that true. it's so simple so much of the time. Do you have do you have a concentration that you like to teach? Are there specific eras that you cover? As someone who has said, I don't like when people just bring up the Civil War, are there areas that <laughs> that you particularly like to sink your teeth into as a history teacher? Um, yeah, my, my background is in, um, specifically like lynchings in the 1920s in the state of Florida. Um, and I teach a class called racial violence in modern America, do black lives matter. And that's kind of, um, like, that's where my whole heart is. That's like the thing that I, I love to do is, is, um, try to help young people understand and like wrap their heads around how we got here. And how it's it's not really that complicated to understand if you just kind of take the time to look at American history and see the ways that um, black communities have been purposefully um, denied opportunities that white white communities have been given, you know, and and if you watch this through line from the end of the Civil War until today, like it's 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 pretty obvious how we ended up where we are. Um, So anytime I get to talk about that stuff, um, I really enjoy it. It's tough right now because uh, we have a terrible governor who doesn't want us to talk, you know, this whole thing about like critical race theory has been crazy. I was going to teach a class this summer, this past summer, uh, <laughs> that was going to be called um, uh, the history of Karen, you know, cause we have this like modern mm-hmm. term of like a Karen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. But that, but the existence of Karen is not new, right. There were, white women in flavors, you know, the white women in the suffrage movement uh, didn't care about black women voting. And in fact, they vilified black men and said, you know, if you don't give us the right to vote, then black men will be, you know, assaulting us in the streets. And like the existence of Karen is not new. So I was going to teach this class called the history of Karen. And um, unfortunately it kind of got picked up by some like right wing media blogs and your class university did. canceled the class yeah the university canceled my Whoa. class like i did not get to teach it uh there was no question of negotiation it was kind of just shut down um because that's the climate we live in so that was wild it must be i would have to imagine you must have studied this for many years um bef- yeah and <laughs> i then- spent a year creating this course but mm-hmm. I also mean just in general, you know, studying racial violence specifically focused, like you've clearly written papers on this and gone to school and are in a position where you can teach at a professor level. So it must be 
Yes. It, it must have been a wild few years for you to go, okay, I've been studying this, and this is something that we, we can't pretend. Look, like being in the growing up in the New York area, it's it, it, one of the things that I bet you have insight into. Oh, we only have two minutes left, but I'm like, you see Ferguson, <laughs> you see George Floyd, and then we all pretend, okay, there's these things exploding. And I'm going, I grew up in New York where I remember Bernie Getz and the Central Park Five. Yeah. It's like, this is just, this happens every year and a half, two years, things like this. This is weird uh, that we pretend it doesn't. Um, But that being said, you've been studying for this years and for years. And all of a sudden the past two years, your concentration has come into like a massive amount of prominence that sadly, I mean, sadly is coming, but that it must be, that, that must've been head spinning for you as well. Yeah. It's a real trip for people to suddenly want to talk about the things that I talk about, but you know, they kind of want you to have a specific agenda with it. It's it's a weird time. It's very weird. Really weird. Really weird. As if you haven't had yeah. enough tumult in your in your personal <laughs> life. Now too you you've got to explain society because you've been preparing to do yeah. so. Yeah. But yeah, I mean it's uh, But I'm very lucky and I have a very good life, so I won't complain about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh Wow, that's a whole that we could have talked a whole hour about that. Could have talked a whole hour about that. Well, even the history of Karen, right? You're saying there, you th- you think back to like you see like that the video of the woman in Central Park saying she's going to call the police on a guy, and then if you read, yeah. you don't uh-huh. need to read too deep in history to go. This is just the modern version of saying that guy whistled at me, and absolutely th- same thing. It's this. It's and and you go, oh my goodness, like, yeah. This is this is like the bullshit break glass in case of emergency thing that has been allowed to happen exactly for generations. Exactly. Yeah, go. Yeah, no wonder people are saying that it's a rigged system. Anyway, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, listen. Yeah. Now we've gotten back to that. We've looped it back around to desperation, which is where I mentioned I was starting out <laughs> feeling hopeless. But I do want to say to you, at the end of the day, you've told us a lot about a love story. And as we wrap up, I want to say that I'm a big fan of the love story. I'm a big fan of of uh, you, you being put in this position to embrace so many sides of yourself. I'm so happy that your sister stepped up, that your that your parents <laughs> got on board, that you got the rainbow champagne. I want to focus on that because that's the core of the of the tale. And um, I'm so happy that we got to talk. I'm so happy we got to talk. Yeah. Likewise, I'm very excited to tell my fiance. I think she's going to be really excited. Well, let me go ahead and say a nice congrats to her as well. Um, Thanks. And and yeah, take just keep taking care of each other. Keep taking care of each other. Yeah. I hope that this love lasts forever. And I thank hope, you. I hope that all goes well, and I hope you get to teach every class you think is important. And I hope that your <laughs> your uh, What's what sounds like a perfectly valid and in fact kind of interesting idea. I'm so sorry that it got dragged into the crossfire of <laughs> political one uh, gamesmanship. What a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wish all the best to you and your family and your and, and your son as well. And I I feel like he's he's lucky to have a dad who's validating him. Listen, it's not even valid. That's the thing that's the thing I want to say. That's the thing I want to say is like when I brought that up, I go. It's not even like I'm validating anything particularly validating. It would say this is like strange or unusual behavior. Whereas I just, 
it's like, like a nonchalance almost. Well, it's also to go, if I made a big deal out of this, that would be all about me. That has nothing to do right, with him. Right, yeah, you're right. Odds are, no matter who he's going to become, him putting on earring stickers at the age of two has nothing to do with <laughs> what his body starts telling me to do when he's 12, yeah. 13, 14 years old and feeling sad. Yeah. And you just sit you, oh, but... I think for a lot of human history, we have decided it does. And there's probably a lot of kids who are taught to hide themselves because they put on an earring sticker when they're two years old. Damn. But I also, I also think that like that is validating in a really important way. Like having a sense of like, I can just run into this room and be myself is, is kind of validating and empowering, even as a, as a little, little person, even as a two-year-old, you know, to not be made to feel self-conscious about things that bring you joy, I think is really important. Well, I mean, I've spent most of my life feeling self-conscious, so I want to, I do want to avoid that for him. (laughs) And then I just, and I, I I bet a lot of parents listening are nodding right now going, I don't even want to act like I'm doing something good there. I'm saying by not giving a kid that, you're just, you're you're digging a deficit. It's not even like you're you're not doing mm-hmm. something. You're just not you're not digging hurting. a ditch. You're not digging a ditch. Mm-hmm. It's not even like you need to put in effort to let a kid yeah do what a kid's gonna do. But when you condemn it or you regulate it, well now you're starting at a deficit. You and the kid, right? And you're setting parameters that are further. You have you have now. You've set the ball back. You've penalized yourself. You now have 15 yards to go until the first down. Don't know mm-hmm. why I went with a sports analogy. You and I have not particularly <laughs> well, connected about sports. But you know what I mean. It's like it actually, it actually takes effort to make that a bad thing. Whereas to just let it be a thing that exists takes no effort. Mm-hmm. I've, it's but you un- have to get out of your own way to do you that. You have and to get out of your own, get way. Out of their own way. Exactly. Exactly. And our instinctive reactions, what are people going to think? I, like you said, I've been mm-hmm. taught what's right and wrong from the start. This seems wrong. That That's all us. A kid just wants to play mm-hmm. around with stickers. A kid just sees something right. shiny exactly. and wants to go, I'm going to wear this necklace. I just want this bow in my hair because it yeah. looks pretty. It's me. It's my... It's all my preconceptions that would assume that this is somehow an impactful thing or a lifelong thing or mm-hmm. a thing that's going to have any... And there's probably people listening out there right now who disagree with me, who in their guts are going, oh, I don't know, man. I'd, I'd take the bows. Out of it. I don't know. I don't think it's going to matter in 15 years when he has his first girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever he has, whatever mm-hmm. he decides to do. I just don't think him putting earring stickers on now is going to matter. And I don't want him to sit here and think that it does. I feel like, like not shaming children. It just is, is so important, you know, like, because if you do regulate it, it's like, you know, whether you're, you're even intentionally doing it or not, like it's, it's shaming him for something he's enjoying. And I think shame is incredibly damaging um, to anyone, let alone a child. It's like, how can you really develop into the person you're supposed to develop into if you're already feeling like, the things that you enjoy are shameful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just takes a couple simple, like that's for girls for him to go. Mm -hmm. I don't even really understand what that means, except that there's something wrong with it and I shouldn't do it. And that 
leads to no good and potential bad. So Right. And are girls bad because they do it? Exactly. Like, are, are boys better than girls? Because, These are the you things. know, having bows is silly and not having bows is serious and mature. Right. Is playing with your trucks and your football somehow right. better or, or better for you and why? It takes energy right. and thought to have to explain that, that I don't, <laughs> my energy's better spent elsewhere. There's a million other things yeah. to yell at them about that are valid. Like, don't eat shit you found yeah. on the ground. And <laughs> yes, you do. If you, you can't walk around with a shitty diaper all day, I'd rather yell at them about that because that's yeah. real. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still stick by my statement. I think he's lucky to have you. And congratulations to both of you. Oh, that's very nice. And Thank you. years later, but... Yeah. And nothing, nothing but love to you. And uh, thank you. And I look forward to the day when you notarize your own marriage documents. I think that's probably <laughs> illegal. You. I'm going to see if that's legal, and and if it is, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> Caller, thank you. Congrats to you. Congrats to your fiance. And I feel like we could have talked for a very, very long time. Maybe we'll get to talk again someday some sort of follow-up situation or real-life situation because I feel like you and I could break bread and sit there and talk and be pals and that's always a good feeling. This show is produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell and Marcus Hom. Our theme song's by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeff.com if you want to know more about me. And hey, wherever you're listening, there's a button that says subscribe or favorite or follow. It's probably the most helpful thing you can do is if you hit that button to support the show. You can find our latest merch at podswag.com. We've got mugs, posters, shirts including our you can't fix stupid shirt where proceeds go to parkinson's research if you want ad free episodes beautiful anonymous and tons more shows go to stitcher premium use promo code stories get a month free if you go to stitcher.com slash premium <laughs>